Informed consent, getting to yes, is editorially independent content supported with advertising by Abbott. Welcome to another episode of our podcast, Informed Consent, Getting to Yes. I'm your host, Marguerite McDonald of the Ophthalmic Consultants of Long Island in Lynbrook, New York. And I'm Rana Jaraha of iWire TV. On this podcast, we talk to leading ocular surgeons about the specific words they use to honestly and ethically get patients to recognize the value of new technologies in cataract surgery and say yes to making an investment in their vision. Today, we're going to be talking about corneal inlays with three guests. We expect to cover a lot of information about how our guests use inlays, but the focus is always on the words they use with patients to make their recommendations. So with that being said, I'd like to introduce our guests. First is Greg Parkhurst, MD, who's the founder of Parkhurst New Vision in San Antonio, Texas, and president of the Refractive Surgery Alliance. Thank you so much, Marguerite, for inviting me to participate. This is an exciting uh, series that that you're doing, and we appreciate it. Thanks, Greg. It's our pleasure. Next is Dr. Bill Wiley, the medical director of the Cleveland Eye Clinic. Thank you so much for taking the time once again. Your perspective on Aura was great, so thanks for talking with us about inlays. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Our third guest is Dr. Stephen D. Kleiss. That's Dr. Kleiss, PhD, not MD. Correct. Steve is adjunct professor of ophthalmology at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York. His specialty is physiology of the eye. Well, thanks. It's a pleasure to be here, Marguerite. Marguerite, why don't we start with Dr. Kleiss and get a little history and an explanation of inlay physiology? That's a good idea. Steve, why don't you tell us a little bit about why the inlays we have now are successful compared to all those that have failed in the past? There is quite a long history. In fact, you were involved in one of the first inlay uh, experiments in in humans. And uh, physiologically, one of the most important aspects uh, that that inlays have to deal with is nutrition of the cornea. Most inlays are fairly impermeable and they're implanted fairly deep within the corneal stroma. As long as they're permeable enough uh, to allow nutrients to pass through, then they seem to be very well tolerated by the uh, cornea for well, basically for years and years. The two types, the kind that have an aperture uh, versus the kind that changed the anterior corneal curvature. What are your thoughts? Well, in terms of physiology, uh, each, each of those two uh, types of inlays solve the problem of nutrition in, in different ways. The acufocus inlay has a large 1.6 millimeter hole in the center, obviously, that lo- allows nutrition as well as light to pass through. And because the skirt or the surround of the inlay is, is impermeable to nutrition, Uh, there is actually uh, a multitude of holes that are randomly placed uh, through the the material. So that's how that particular inlay uh, solves the problem of nutrition. Other inlays uh, don't have holes. Uh, They change the shape of the cornea uh, or they have uh, a refractive power uh, built, built into them. So they're either very, very thin or very permeable to allow this nutrition to, uh, to occur so that, that uh, they can be sustained for many, many years. Dr. Greg Parkhurst, what has been your experience with inlays? I've been involved in some of the FDA clinical trials um, with the inlays for about five years now. So um, as you know, uh, the camera inlay was approved um, by the FDA about two years ago. 
um, whereas the raindrop inlay was the second uh, corneal inlay to get approval um, uh, going on about uh, eight or nine months ago now. So these are two relatively uh, new procedures to our, to our mix to help our patients. And the, the, the way that I present basically all vision correction procedures, whether it be LASIK or inlays or lens-based refractive surgery, I'm basically always trying to get to the bottom of what the patient's issue is and what their need is. Bill Wiley, same question to you. Your experience with inlays? Sure. Um, so we started with inlays with the Presbia trial through the FDA trial, and we've enrolled about uh, 38 patients in the Presbia trial. And uh, that's kind of sparked the whole inlay mindset for our practice. We saw some great results. Uh, we saw very happy patients. And so soon after uh, we had experience with Presbia, camera was released uh, uh, commercially in the U.S. Uh, since then, uh, we've had a, um, a great result with uh, camera as well. Uh, and then more recently, uh, Raindrop has been released, and uh, we've got uh, some early experience with that. Not quite as broad as we have with, with camera, but uh, we're excited about that technology. So Presbia, as of this taping today, is not yet available in the U.S., but you have the two others. Correct. So now let's talk about the type of patients you're getting who might be candidates for inlays or even those who came in looking for them. Greg? It's interesting to me that, you know, still most people out there, if you ask them what does vision correction mean, they typically just go straight to the word LASIK. Um, and there's so many myths out there about what LASIK can and cannot do, but I'd say that one of the biggest ones is that people think that LASIK wears off, um, and the reason they think that primarily is because of presbyopia. Um, so the first, for the first time now, we have a couple of procedures with the FDA indication of treatment of presbyopia. Um, so it's a, it's a really exciting time to be able to talk to our community and talk to our, to our patients to let them know that we do have options um, and in many cases, it's to their, uh, to their surprise and to their delight. Um, so uh, just getting the message out to the community that something exists to get rid of reading glasses or reduce the need for reading glasses has been a, a major benefit in terms of bringing patients into the practice to look at the uh, set of procedures that we have. Um, we kind of approach vision correction in the overall context of uh, the three milestones of vision development, uh, the first one being ocular maturity, the second one being presbyopia, and the third one being uh, cataracts. And uh, so we talk to every patient who comes in, whether they're a 25-year-old patient seeking laser vision correction or a 55-year-old seeking solutions for presbyopia, we let them know about these milestones. And one of the biggest reasons we, we do that is to emphasize and to educate around this, this presbyopic condition that a lot of our patients just don't understand or don't know about, and they definitely don't realize that there's surgical solutions to it. So once we kind of educate the patients about you know what their problem is and listen to what their what their pain points are, we can then start to fit a procedure to them. The way that we approach our presbyopic refractive surgery patients is actually to well first of all check what their refraction is, um, and second of all do uh, scans of their anatomy, looking at corneal topography, similar to we would with any laser vision correction patient. Um, but we also use the AccuTarget HD scan, um, specifically looking at the optical scatter index uh, to determine what the clarity of the crystalline lens is. And for patients that have clear crystalline lenses and good OSI scores, this is a group of folks that we, we start talking with about corneal inlays. Do you find with the increased awareness uh, in your region 
that you're actually getting older cataract patients who had surgery, FACO, years ago who would now like to have an inlay. Has that happened? We've seen some of that, but really the, the biggest group that's been coming in are the 40s and 50s. And they're people who've been thinking about refractive surgery for a while, but they've kind of put it off because they've always been under the impression that, oh, I'm just trading my distance glasses for my reading glasses. So once the community is educated that that is not true, that there is a solution for both near and far vision, we're finding that those patients in their 40s and 50s are coming in that probably weren't before. Um, for those patients, oftentimes in their late 50s, early 60s, we're in many cases finding that they've got early lens changes, which is showing light scatter. And in many cases, those patients are adopting a refractive lensectomy. Um, and in those patients that have perfectly clear um, media and, op and excellent op or minimal optical scatter, um, we're discussing corneal inlay approaches with them. Let's talk about how you decide between the two currently approved inlays, camera and raindrop. Bill? Sure. It's interesting. You know, in general, we try not to, to um, market or discuss individual technologies. We'd like to discuss outcomes. And it's interesting. Uh, we sort of fell in the trap when it was first camera. We got used to talking about camera. And then raindrop was released. And, and, and they did a great job with PR. And patients came in looking for the raindrop. And maybe they weren't a candidate for that. We had to sort of change gears or change mindsets and, and put them back into maybe another technology. So in general, we like to, to sort of discuss inlays as a broad topic. And then you know individually try to choose which inlay fits that patient's needs uh, best. And what we found is... Um, Camera, uh, we, we started using camera as almost like a LASIK upgrade that many of the patients that are coming in with LASIK uh, uh, that are presbyopic maybe have tried monovision and didn't like it or are not excited about that, that technology. We offer them inlays, uh, particularly uh, the camera inlay in that instance, as sort of an upgrade to LASIK where they can get great distance vision, but then at the same time, if we place it, the corneal inlay, it can keep that near vision for them. So um, we've uh, had success with that, and it's a very similar discussion that we have with, let's say, upgrade to cataract surgery. So when patients come with uh, cataract surgery, we can just discuss what we can do. The traditional uh, technology and you need glasses, probably for distance, but definitely for near. Or we can do an upgrade where we can um, you know, do a presbyopic lens to give distance and near vision. The same sort of mindset occurs with inlays and LASIK. So patients can come in and we say, okay, we can do LASIK, give great distance vision, or we can do you know, LASIK plus an inlay and give distance and near vision. And patients seem to latch onto that. You know, they're in a, a mindset uh, to be uh, having less dependence on glasses, and this sort of coattails into that nicely. So you have made the decision beforehand which of the two is most appropriate. So basically the AccuFocus, uh, the camera inlay, if they're headed for LASIK and they're myopic in particular. Correct, okay. correct. Whereas the, the raindrop uh, isn't the best match with LASIK because of the alteration in the anterior corneal curvature. Correct. So it's much better just on its own. Correct. For a low hyperope, plano low hyperope? Correct. Yeah, we see the, the sweet spot for raindrop is somewhere between, let's say, plus one and Plano, and more recently we've expanded that to minus a half. If we place the inlay, uh, the raindrop, a little deeper, or if we place it under our pocket, it, it tends to dampen the effect, and so we're, we're comfortable using it in the low myops as well. But I would say sort of uh, within the um, uh, FDA guidelines under a flap, the, the sweet spot for raindrop would be right around plus 0.75.
We use both camera as well as raindrop. So, so with with our in, initial discussion, we don't we don't talk about one versus the other. This is Dr. Greg Parkhurst. We've actually designed in our office a really really helpful handout or patient education piece that, that we we designed internally. Um, and we we discuss each of these milestones of vision, and then we have all on one sheet the procedures that are applicable to each milestone. So in the case of presbyopia, we generally have three options. We've got blended vision or, or monovision uh, laser refractive surgery. We've got corneal inlays, and we've got refractive lens exchange. And we present those three surgical options together at all as legitimate solutions for presbyopia. And then once we understand the patient's refractive error in their anatomy, we start to narrow down which of those three general approaches is going to be best. And then if it's the case of a corneal inlay, we, we talk about that generically. And if the patient is myopic, we're generally heading them more towards a camera inlay. We can combine with laser vision correction, put it in a pocket. And for those low hyperopes, those are the ideal raindrop patients. Informed Consent, Getting to Yes, is editorially independent content supported with advertising by Abbott. Steve, as a PhD scientist, you're not often sitting right in front of the patient talking about inlays. But let's say you have a patient, Mrs. Smith, Put yourself in the position of having to condense all that you know about inlays down to just a few sentences to explain to Mrs. Smith what you've chosen for her, knowing that she wants to see up close and far away. How would you quickly but honestly get her to say yes without skipping over the risks and benefits? Pretend I'm Mrs. Smith. Okay, uh, Mrs. Smith, it's good to see you today. I hope, uh, I hope you're well. Uh, uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about how we're going to give you better vision. You're a presbyope, that is, you're, you're, you're farsighted, uh, hyperope, and we, we need you to uh, use your reading glasses less to enable you to see cl uh, more clearly up close, to read the paper and so on. And to do that, there are, there are a number of alternatives. And two of these include inlays that are placed in your uh, cornea. And one has a, uh, a little pinhole uh, in it that allows uh, you to see very clearly over an extended uh, range of vision. And, and others have a refractive power that change the power of your cornea that allow you to also uh, see more clearly uh, uh, close up. There's a, there's a difference between uh, monofocal uh, uh, vision, that is uh, using maybe uh, one contact lens to see clearly, uh, and, and these, these uh, inlays. The inlays allow you to see clearly or fairly clearly over a large range. That is, the eye that is corrected for near can also see fairly well at distance. So that's called multifocality. Are there any risks, Dr. Kleiss? These uh, uh, implants have undergone uh, very extensive clinical trials. They're FDA approved. And while every uh, surgery has uh, a certain amount of risk, the, the risks for these devices is very small. And I understand you can reverse them? How do you do that? Yeah, as, as a matter of fact, these, these uh, implants are actually put under a, a flap 
of the cornea and, uh, and, and centered and uh, allowed to uh, heal. If, if, for example, there is, uh, uh, you, for, for some reason you don't like the implant, it doesn't give you the kind of vision that you were expecting, the implant can always be removed by lifting the flap, taking, taking the implant out, and, and letting the uh, cornea recover. Why don't we ask the same question of Greg? So, Greg, let's pretend I'm Mrs. Smith. I've read about inlays. I'm, I'm 48, and you have selected me. You've looked at my anatomy, and you, you know what my desires are to get rid of readers. So what, what would you say to me in the exam lane? Marguerite, I understand it's the reading glasses that I see you taking on and off your head right now. That's the issue, right? Um, you know, most people are telling me they have about 15 pairs of those. There's one in the dashboard. There's one by the computer. And the glasses seem to be everywhere except where you, they need to be when you need them. And um, a lot of my patients are telling me about how they're frustrated with this kind of on-off business where if they want to look in the distance, they have to take them off. But anything they look at up close, it's like, where are my cheaters? Um, and the fact that we actually call them reading glasses, I think it is in many ways a misnomer because, you know, reading glasses implies the only thing we need them for is reading. But the truth of the matter is there's hundreds of things in our near world, everything from the food on the table to price tags and shopping labels, um, where this problem becomes frustrating. In the past, we haven't had very many options to fix this. Um, and if we did have a surgical option, it meant there was a trade-off. We had to trade some distance to get some near and vice versa. With the advent of the corneal inlay procedures, the beauty of it is we don't have the trade-offs anymore. We can help you restore your near vision, and you don't have to give up significant distance vision to get that. Um, we've been working with the corneal inlay for a few years now, and we found great results uh, for patients that are hoping to reduce their need for reading glasses. And you look like a great candidate for this. Bill, how do you get Mrs. Smith to say yes while covering all the bases and risks? I'll say Mrs. Smith, you know, for all refractive surgery, there's risks and benefits. And, uh, you know, some of the uh, um, risks are infection or inflammation. Uh, with inlays, there are some uh, unique uh, risks where there, there may be the body doesn't tolerate the inlay and there's a chance of removal. Thankfully, uh, it is easily removed, and we've seen that the vision recovers back to its preoperative state. So that can be an advantage for some reason. If you don't uh, like the vision or if you don't tolerate the vision, we can remove that inlay uh, and go back to your preoperative state. And um, we find that, um, you know, that, that the patients really like that option of remo uh, removability. Does it have to be removed very often, doctor? Thankfully, in our experience, it's, uh, the risk of removal is less than 2%. The few that need it removed, how soon afterward do you realize that it has to come out? This is a journey that we'll take together, and it's very important that uh, you, you, you have your follow-ups with me. Uh, you follow the post-operative instructions. Um, in particular, if the body is not uh, tolerating the inlay, we need to know about it. So if you have changes in your vision, you need to call and come in. I don't want you just to have the inlay and, and disappear, so it's important that we work together uh, through the post-operative journey. There's other things that we need to work together on. We have to uh, control the eye's uh, you know, surface and the, the tear film. And so uh, we'll, we'll be managing that with maybe some artificial tears, uh, sometimes some prescription uh, strength tears, sometimes some oral supplements. So we'll work together with that. I don't want you to just think it's in and then, and then I won't see you again. So we'll have to work, you, you, know, you need to be comfortable with me and I need to be comfortable with you and we'll work together through this. 
So, Dr. Wiley, what's going to happen to my distance vision? I know my near vision is going to get a lot better. That's what I want. But what will happen to my distance vision? With any of the uh, refractive surgery, there are some, some compromises. Uh, thankfully, uh, for example, let's say with LASIK, we tend to deliver great distance vision, but sometimes it can compromise near vision. What we see with the inlays, there is a give and take. And, um, uh, for example, one inlay that we may choose is called camera. What we see is that it does uh, dim the distance vision. You tend to still maintain uh, good distance vision uh, on the chart, but you'll see things are a little bit more dark. Uh, that's why we wouldn't recommend it in both eyes. We just do it in one eye. So I'd love to tell you it's perfect vision for, for uh, distance, intermediate, and near. I, I, it's functional, but not perfect, and there is some compromise. Some patients do notice some glare or halo or nighttime driving symptoms. So if you're an airline pilot or a truck driver or a police officer, I'd, I'd probably not recommend this as a, an option for you. Uh, we all do nighttime activities, and, and most of my patients find it uh, reasonable. They might notice a little bit of a glare halo, but in general, uh, they, they enjoy the decreased need on glasses. Um, with that said, other things I tell all my patients is the goal of this is decreased dependence. You may not have complete independence. I don't want you to think that as a failure. You know, I myself, I had refractive surgery over 20 years ago, but I still keep a light pair of glasses in my glove box that I sometimes use to drive at night with. You know, most times I don't need any glasses, but I still have that pair if, I, if, I, in a, if I'm in a situation where I need a little bit better vision. So don't look at that as a failure. I, we want to give you a functional vision, decrease the need for glasses, but you still may need them for certain tasks. Continuing my role as Mrs. Smith, how do you perform the procedure, Dr. Parkhurst? The corneal inlay procedure is done on the non-dominant eye only. Um, so um, it takes about 10 minutes to do. It's an in-office procedure. Um, it doesn't hurt. And um, most patients are finding that they can see better up close within about 24 hours. Um, there's not much downtime with this procedure. In fact, most people can go back to work and drive even, even by the next day. Um, it is really important to use the prescribed eye drops, which we're going to let you know about. There's some that are used and necessary for a couple of months. And um, we also discuss kind of what the expectations are going to be around the, the early healing period. So in, in the case of the raindrop inlay, what a lot of people find is that even by the day after, the close-up vision is dramatically improved. Uh, however, the distance away from the eye where you see clearly is going to be different. You've been used to holding things out and stretching your arm to the point where your arm's not long enough anymore. But in fact, what you need to do the day after your raindrop is actually bring things in closer. The near point is often up around, you know, maybe even like 10, 14 inches away from your eye. Um, what we found is that people can easily read their text messages and um, look at even pretty small print within 24 hours. Over time, that near point will shift out to a more comfortable reading distance like you're used to it in your, in your, in your lap, for example. The post-op appointments are important. We see everybody back on one day out and then just to make sure that the inlay is positioned where it needs to be and things are healing properly. And then there's another checkup at one week and one month and then three months out. Are there any uh, possible complications or things that could go wrong, Dr. Parkhurst? There are, and um, as you know, there's no such thing as any surgical procedure anywhere on the body that comes with zero risks, and corneal inlays are certainly no exception to that. Um, thankfully, the complications that, that have been reported in the literature, as well as the, the few that we've seen, are, are, are primarily able to be treated rather simply. Um, 
probably the worst thing that could go wrong with this is if for some reason you were to develop an infection in the first week after healing. Um, it's really important to keep your eyes clean, not to rub them, and to use all the prescribed eye drops to prevent that. And I've actually not seen that happen in my career to date. One of the things that's kind of unique about corneal inlays is that while we intend to leave this there forever, we intend it to be a permanent solution, it is possible to remove the corneal inlay. Um, so if for whatever reason there's something about the inlay that, that you don't like, um, it, it is possible to remove it and kind of go back to the way you were um, with reading glasses in the past. And that's kind of unique to corneal inlays, which is a, a significant advantage. Some of the other things that we've seen in terms of risks of corneal inlays include uh, temporary dryness of the eyes, which is typical of most corneal uh, procedures, but uh, like others, it tends to go away after a couple of months, and it's rare that this is a long-term complication. Another potential risk of corneal inlays is, is the a potential for the body essentially rejecting the implant and developing an, an inflammatory reaction or immune response to the inlay. Um, if we see that, patients often notice their vision becomes a little bit hazy, and the first treatment is to use some anti-inflammatory medications. In many cases, that'll solve it. Uh, however, if inflammation persists, that would be one of the reasons that we might recommend having to remove the inlay. Uh, thankfully, the removal rate has been very low, and in published studies, it's, uh, it's only about 2% of the cases that inlays need to be removed or, or even less. Well, I think, Greg, that is an incredibly well-balanced uh, explanation to Mrs. Smith. The, um, do you find that you do all of this? Do you do the important parts and let your coordinator do some of it? Or, or do, does the coordinator just repeat it because we know our patients uh, are nervous and they don't remember absolutely everything the first time? Well, I, I make it a habit to, to, to meet all of my patients and examine them and have pretty extensive discussions with them preoperatively. And we talk about all the potential upsides and, and how great it is to have the freedom of reading, <laughs> not, not needing reading glasses anymore. We talk about all those advantages and we, we talk about different alternatives. In many cases, patients have already experienced the alternatives, the, the frustrations of reading glasses, the downsides of monovision contact lenses. So, so they're, they're familiar with other solutions. And we talk about risk as well. And so after that long discussion, um, patients feel pretty comfortable in terms of the, the opportunity to experience a life of better vision and less dependency on glasses and contact lenses. In your practice, do you find you have more females than males, or is it equally split? You know, it's been pretty equally split, actually. Um, I can't say there's been... I haven't, I haven't looked at that data, but just... Um, Anecdotally, I don't, I don't think that there's more women versus men. You know, it's, it's interesting. One, one of the things that I find quite common is we're, we're seeing a lot of executives and professionals. Um, and what's going on, they'll describe a situation where they're, they're in a boardroom and they're in a situation where they need to look at some sort of spreadsheet or some sort of numbers and process the data quickly in order to make a decision um, to lead their organization. And when they're slowed down by their ability to focus on what they need to see, it's almost as if they're not mentally processing as quickly as they feel they need to be. Um, so this can, this can really be a, a motivator for patients to kind of prove that they've still got it and that their, their, their mind is still there, it's just their vision slowing them down. And, and so giving them a solution where they can see fast and think fast and process the information and move their company forward has been a a really significant benefit. 
Well, that is fascinating. So uh, I mentioned briefly before uh, about people who had FACO years ago. They were corrected for distance in both eyes. They, you're just beginning to, to see that sort of patient come in now? Yeah, we are. In fact, we, we're, we're presently enrolling in, in our center. We're actually enrolling in a clinical trial for that and with, with raindrops. So it, it, there's not much published data out on this yet, but the, the patients we've, we've done have done great, actually. In, in fact, we're now using the raindrop in a corneal pocket. Um, so especially for these patients that are, you know, by definition, a little bit older and might have a more compromised ocular surface, being able to place the inlay in a pocket rather than under a thicker flap has been advantageous for the ocular surface. Wow, this was wonderful. Your thoughts are very complete and considered, Greg. Yes, I learned a lot, and I'm sure our listeners did too. Without a doubt, from all our participants, thank you all so much. Verana and myself, I would also like to thank you for listening and to ask you to keep an eye out for the next episode of Informed Consent, Getting to Yes. Informed Consent, Getting to Yes is editorially independent content supported with advertising by Abbott.